or been taught by someone and shortly after doing so, like just a little time in, you realize you knew more than them? Anybody here? Um, it's kind of one of those prerequisites. It's like if you're going to, it reminds me of like those old school dojos where you go in and you're like, you challenge the sensei and then if you, he, you beat him, now you're the new sensei. But uh, if he beats you, then I guess you're willing to be taught under him. That's kind of what we're talking about today. It's going to be one of those things where the more you know about God, I was kind of reading the words to the songs that we sang, and it's like the more you know about God, the more you study like the intricacies and the details, and you allow yourself to kind of go from just reading phrases and in, in passages in the Bible but to like understand who God is, the more you can be in awe. And it makes sense when we say you should have a fearful reverence of the Lord. Like the more you know who he is and what his power is and try to understand how he has power, the more you can allow him to be your sensei, so to speak. So um, I'm going to try. I, I was sitting here thinking, man, I don't know what's wrong with my eyes, but I'm going to try to read off that back screen and see if I can do so. And here's my pointer. If you guys would turn to John 1, 1 for me. I have this thing, you know, it's like when your when your Bible is shut, I feel like it kind of is like a, a box that you can just it almost lets energy out when you open it up. And I think the same thing happens when we read audibly the words of God. And I should have done a contest to see who's there first, but I can see you're going to beat me. There we go. Okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Is it on? Oh, oh, hang on just a second. Oh, there's no way I can read that. Am I going backwards? Okay, hang on. This stuff doesn't make me nervous, so don't worry. Got it. Okay, so there's a lot of mysteries. You know, when I when I read through the Bible, like there's a lot of things that pop out, and I'm like, what in the world is that? You know, and it's easy to kind of just read through and like get what everybody typically gets. But have you ever read a verse like a hundred times, and then somebody preaches on it, or you read it, and it's like there's something new that was sitting right there, and you never saw it, right? And so, like little things, like. Um, Genesis 3.1. Let's flip over there. Genesis 3.1. This is the interaction of Eve with the serpent. And so, it says, oh, I'm missing that. Who wants to read it for me? That's my page that fell out. Somebody want to read that for me? Um, just the interaction there in 3.1. Thank you. So there's a discourse between Eve and this serpent, and the serpent speaks to her, and she doesn't jump. Like, isn't that weird to you? Like, was that a common thing? Did the animals talk? You know? Like, we just read over, and like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, I've talked to you guys before about walking, the walking through the garden. It says that God, in the, the coolness of the morning, walked with Adam. This is right after they had sinned and brought sin into the And it's like, is that what God's intention is? Like, just for us to wake up in the morning and have a walk with him? You know, when he made 
the Garden of Eden was supposed to be a perfect environment. Um, Cain in, in Genesis 4, 14 through 15, you'll remember what happened with Cain and Abel. And Cain kills Abel and God comes down and says, the ground has opened up and received the blood. And I hear his blood crying out. And he says, I'm going to cast you out and the land will no longer offer anything to you. And Cain says, I, I, I can't go out because if I go out, I'm afraid that they will kill me. And God says, well, I'll offer a, a mark that will protect you and blah, blah, blah. Well, the, the thing is, like, who are they? Like, we haven't accounted for them, right? So these things don't make sense to me as I read through. And it's these mysteries, these things, uh, the, the biblical giant trees, which we've, we read about, wa- um, the watchers teaching men and, men and women things God didn't intend, the firmaments, Samson's strength, the tombs opening up, and holy saints coming back to life after Christ's crucifixion. Like, none of these things really make sense, right? We read them, and it creates a little bit more, like, mystery in the moment, but, like, do we ever stop and try to figure out what is really going on? Now, when we read commentaries, a lot of times the commentaries, um, it's just another guy who's like, oh, this is what it is. So when I read this commentary, a lot of times like, I'll have a question and then I'll go down to the bottom and I'll read it. And they're just kind of like, kind of almost feels like they're placating me to keep on reading. You know, they give me a really simple answer that I'm like, mm, I don't know if I agree with that. So I'll, I'll dig a little bit deeper problem is sometimes you dig deep enough like you're just utterly confused and so the topic today will will have a tendency to do that by the way homeschoolers anybody anybody homeschool put them up be proud you guys do not have to do science this week because i'm gonna give it to you today okay so you're good at least for a week so newtonian physics this is actually really easy to grasp. I could talk about, I could fill a bucket with all the laws in Newtonian physics. Um, these are the laws of motion. And this is going to set some groundwork for what we're going to talk about when we get back to John 1.1. So it will make sense in a minute, but I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit and you're going to follow me, okay? So the laws of inertia. You guys already know this, especially if you have a son. No offense, Connor. Um, Something that is sitting still will always say, stay still until you put a motion to it. That's the law of inertia. Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah? Okay. Uh, force equals mass. This is another one that you see in everyday life. So a force is equivalent to mass. So if, if you push me and you're really small, not much happens. You might move me a little. But if you're a big guy... And you push me, I'm going to move. That's four seasonal match. Not that complicated. Law of action and reaction. Now, I know I'm not going to look down as I say this so I don't point my finger at anybody. But the, the law of action and reaction, if, if I take my fist out of anger and I punch this cow in the head, then the force goes both ways. And so you're likely to stumble the cow, but you're going to break some bones. And that's all it's saying with law of action and reaction. Now, I could dig and dig and dig, and I'm going to do something. If you know Newtonian physics and you know quantum physics, like, you're going to be offended by what I'm about to do. But I'm going to, I'm going to break it down really, really simply. So the basic underlying premise of Newtonian physics says the atom is the smallest particle. Okay? And it builds all this stuff about it. I could go on and on, but I just want to keep it simple so we can jump to the point. So everybody kind of understand that? Like, they're just saying the atom is the smallest particle, and there's all kinds of stuff that build around that. But there's a point to it in a minute. It's quantum physics. Who studied quantum physics? Look at you. Good. So, you're the one I offended then. Yes, good. 
The quantum physics is a study of the behavior of matter and energy at the smallest scales of nature. It reveals the properties and interactions of the fundamental particles that make up everything in the universe. Quantum physics differs from the classical Newtonian physics that applies to macroscopic objects and often leads to the surprising and counterintuitive results. Now, here's the offensive part. The atom is the smallest molecule. Quantum physics says when we look past the atom, we see nothing more than a collection of vibrations. So we see vibrational frequencies. Now, if that's the case, everything has a unique prescribed signature vibrational frequency. So I don't care whether it's the pew you're sitting on or a living organism or a cell, a a bacteria, a parasite. um, They all have a signature vibrational frequency. So there's all kinds of, just like Newtonian physics, there's all kinds of things we could talk about from quantum leaders to quantum entanglement to quantum tunneling to quantum computing, quantum mechanics, et cetera, et cetera. But we're not going to do that today because I would lose you. So quantum physics, everything at its most simple level is a collection of vibrational frequencies. Everything has a unique signature vibrational frequency and things that are living exist at its best when it is resonating at its signature frequency. Everybody still with me? We're good. You're still awake. Everybody stand up. Okay. So, for instance, uh, Everybody's seen the, an opera singer, well, that deal, you know, you sing and you resonate uh, with a crystal glass and it causes a res- resonation and vibration in that crystalline structure and it shatters a crystal glass. My voice can't do that. Um, another example is the Tacoma Bridge. They had built this bridge to withstand like 140 mile an hour winds and it had, on one day, it just had this constant humming, about 30, 40 mile an hour breeze. Uh, wind and it was it just built this resonance this vibration within the bridge and back then they didn't have steps where they would actually create a like a fissure within the structure of the bridge so that it would have abrupt starts and stops and keep that from resonating so this thing just kept building the resonation and building resonation until that the bridge collapsed um it would be similar also if i took like a tuning fork um of say 56 hertz and I they're both of them were tuned and I whacked one and held it right next to that other tuning fork without touching it this one would build a resonation and it would just kind of bring it up to that 56 hertz where you could feel it so certain therapies also utilize um, some of the laws of quantum physics um, to kill certain things and we just talked about tuning fork and opera singer for instance um, most structures within Biology have a liquid crystalline structure. And if you can match that resonance, then what you do is you build resonance within that structure. And what they'll do is they'll actually do a, they'll build the resonance and then they'll stop it really quick. And then they'll build the resonance and then they'll stop it. And they'll actually create a fissure within the cell membrane to cause eruption and cell death. But on the flip side, building resonance can restore function and health. In fact, certain frequencies can offer an unexpected or an expected outcome of healing and repair. So 528 hertz has been known to repair DNA. 741 hertz detoxifies the body. I should be able to read that from here. 111 hertz has been dubbed the holy frequency as it brings on healing of individual cells. And then finally, Schumann's resonance. This is why, like, the, the, the development of rubber-soled shoes is, like, one of the 
biggest travesties known to man because we don't ground, we don't earth anymore, and I'm not a super hippie, but it is good for you. Schumann's resonance is a resonance of the earth at 7.83 hertz. And so when you ground, when we, when we separated from that, we've noticed everybody with foot pain and knee pain and back pain and uh, which leads to many other health elements, not that that's the primary cause, but one of the contributing factors. A quick search will reveal that there are frequencies in nature everywhere that serve a distinct beneficial purpose. Has anybody seen that little video that's going around since it's gardening time about the birds that get up and sing in the morning? Anybody seen that video? And so they, and I looked at the article and then I thought, I'm not even, you saw it. I'm not even going to share it because it's actually, it's just some guy, some blurb of some guy speaking, but the article is like actually really long and impressive, but there's just a lot there. Um, but birds get up and sing and somehow the resonating frequency of their singing actually opens up. I'm not going to get the, the terms of a flower, right? You probably could say it. Sounds good to me. Op- cause the flower to open up and grow and bloom and do all those things. But it's almost like he knew what he was doing, right? Like everything just lives in harmony. And and so it's it's just the deeper and deeper you go, the more impressive it is. So back to John 1, 1. In the beginning was a word and word was with God and the word was God. Mm, I hate turning my back to you, but. We see the word translated a bit differently in Aramaic. So you can go, I mean, I had to kind of funnel this down because when you get to really, I said, what is word, right? In the beginning was the word. Like, it's not like God had a book that he carried around. And we always say that it's, that's the representation of Jesus prior to him manifesting at that point in time that the world needed a savior. So Jesus, the word was there. And I'm like, what does that mean? And so if you look, there's the short answer, right? The answer that you see at the bottom of of your concordance, and it's the short answer. But what's the long answer? So we see the word translated a bit differently in Aramaic than we see it in King James or NIV or ESV. So if you go to Isaiah 45, 12, it says, I have made the earth and created man upon it. In the Aramaic, it is, I by my word have made, and then the rest of the verse, and Isaiah 48, 13, mine hand has laid the foundation of the earth, but in Aramaic it says, by my word I have laid the founded have founded the earth. So one of the Hebrew words, which I'm not going to pronounce right, it should, it's only three letters, but it's kol, God's actual voice. So when it says word, it's God's actual voice. But I wasn't, I think that's part of it, but that's not the point. Memra is an Aramaic term related to the Hebrew word, and that's it right there. Anybody speak Hebrew? Okay, we'll just look at it then. Pronounce amer, which means speech. So, is that speech as in what I'm doing right now or is that the noun, you know, speech like you're going to give a speech or is that. So then we have the verb speaking representation of the father's intention, which is what it says in the coordinates, is that, that he has a will and the word is a representation of that will. Or are we talking about the actual sound? And the truth is, when we talk about the word, in the beginning was a word, it's all of those things. Like that's where it becomes really complex, because it's all of those things kind of wrapped up in one. And there is no simple answer to it. In the Old Testament, we find the words, the word or wisdom of God personified generally as an instrument for ex- executing the divine will. So that's that. That's what the word is to execute whatever his will is. Genesis 1.3, Genesis 1.6, and so on. We see God speaking, offering the same audible spoken word to create the universe, to create things. 
So hang on to that because we're going to change. I'm going to come back. This will all go full, full circle. So Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Does that make sense? It doesn't to me. Before he knew us, he formed us in the womb and set us apart. That's a concept a little hard to get. So what does science say? Well, the laws of thermodynamics state that energy is never created nor destroyed. It merely changes in manifestation or position. So we, we had something in micro that was called a burn calorimeter. We did, I don't know, all kinds of stuff because we like to burn things. But you put it inside a burn calorimeter and you measure the kilocalories that come out. It might be a banana, right? And you see a banana and when you read this chart, it says, I don't know what a banana has for calories, but it has X amount of calories. And the way to, to actually see how many it has is you burn it until, like, there's literally nothing left, maybe a pile of ash, and you measure the amount of heat that it, that it gives off, and that is the kilocalories. And so the thing about thermodynamics, which is such a secular point of view, it's like we know science, and it's like the more science you get, the more you step away from God. But in doing so, it's like the more science you get, the more it actually proves that God exists. And it shows the wonder of God. And this is one of those examples. It's like thermodynamics say that energy is never created nor destroyed. So what happens to the soul? There was a study I read where when you burn up, when you cremate a body, um, there's a, well, that's not true. That was a different study. So when a person, the amount of calories that you hold during life and the amount of calories that are expressed during cremation is different than the sum. There's something that happens to the energy level that exists while you're ambulating or while you're walking around. And it's different than when you're burned after death. And they're saying there's this, I don't know what I just pushed. There's this, um, this deficit. It's like you have a lot more energy now, but if I burn your body once it's still, even though nothing has changed, you have a lot less to give. And that's, that's how we account mentally for the loss of a soul, which is that energy, which God says, I knew you before you were. So I'm coming back. I feel like that was really confusing. So if the word knew us from the beginning and there is any truth to the laws of thermodynamics, then he knew us. All the energy for everything was spoken through his creative words into existence from the beginning. You were always and have always been, just like a burn calorimeter. Once the avatar, once this body, which I just always call an avatar, it's like, uh, it just holds the soul, which is really the only thing important, right? Once you die, like this thing isn't worth anything. It's the soul that's important. Once the avatar, your body is used up and it's all gone. All that is left is the one thing that cannot be destroyed, and that is your soul. So that's the light at the end of the tunnel. We're getting close. We're going to come back. So here's God's characteristics, right? Omniscience, the capacity to know everything. Does that make sense? That's another one of those things I don't understand, right? How can you know everything? Every thought in this room, he knows right now. Every thought. The one you're thinking and the one the person over here is thinking, like he knows it all. But that isn't even, that's just a drop in a bucket because he knows every thought of every individual at this particular moment. On top of that, the hairs on their head how many conditions they have, what their concerns are, what they're doing tomorrow, what they did five years ago, all of that make any sense, right? How in the world could he possibly know that? But it's true. 
omnipresence. Not only that, the property of being present anywhere and everywhere. That's another one of those things that doesn't make any sense to me. I can't wrap my mind around it. So now on top of that, while he's everywhere and he's anywhere, he knows everything at all times. Like that's a really busy being to do that. So then we have omnipotence. He's all powerful. He does not just have power over all things. He is also the source of power, which we saw in Genesis with the creation of the earth. He actually created things, which means he's a source of power. So I'm sorry, please forgive me. I want to make a movie reference because this is how I can, this is how I'm going to wrap all this up and try to make it make sense. So anybody know the Matrix? Like they talk about a lot in the news and stuff, right? And so we see this. The only reason I put this picture up here is because it's like you, we talk about signature vibrational frequencies. Like everything is, is hummed down when you look past the cellular level and there's a frequency to it, right? And the frequency changes at times. But this is, it's almost like there's this numerical, mathematical like equation to everything when you look at this static bench and the person sitting next to you and yourself. And it's like, it's not that hard to understand how God can be in all things. How he can be everywhere and understand everything at all times when you look at how he actually created the earth. I mean, he used his power of speech, speaking in a frequency manner to create everything within the world. So I wrote this and I wanted you to, I want to read it to you and I want you to try to get what it's saying because I don't want to seem like a heretic either, right? I just want you to understand how I've made sense of difficult topics to understand. So back to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That word, the same word that spoke the world into existence that projected his beautiful vibrational frequency to move nothing and create something The source, the power of the beginning, who spoke you into existence, set you apart, chosen for such a time as this. For the purpose of completing his will and being a living glorification of the Father is plugged in to all things. The birds outside, all of us in here. The chairs that you're sitting on, the sounds, your thoughts, plugged into all of it. Defining his omnipresence, but allowing for his omniscience and bringing about his omnipotence. Does that kind of make sense? So, I meant to start with that, but I like where it's sitting now. So, you know, I read an article. Everybody read about the Council of Troy? And so, the Council of Troy was when the Vatican decided that they would change... What we saw as Canaanite scripture, they pulled 14 books out, right? And that bothers me. Does that bother you at all? Because I don't trust the Vatican. I don't trust the Catholic Church. I know that they have an objective that's not necessarily God-aligned. And so it caused me to have this approach, this like, what's the mystery? What's hidden? What's there? What, what, what is more? What did God intend for us to know? And I really struggled with that. And I started to question a lot of things. And what my, my conclusion was that God is in control. So you can go and you can manipulate whatever you want. And you can pull something out. But don't you think for a second that God will not maintain the truth in Scripture to accomplish his will. It says whatever man intended for evil, God will use for good. And there's plenty of good stuff in there for us to use. And everything he intended to be left there is left there. Because that is his word. 
But I do encourage you, I, I, when I get to the end, I like to have a, a call or like a, a point. I guess my point is, I would like to see you not read Scripture just to say I read Scripture. You know, pull a book, pull a verse open and just read it. If it isn't making you chew on it for a day or so, if it isn't making you, you know, say, hey, what do you think about this? Or talk to somebody or say, hey, this is what I got and see what somebody says, then dig a little deeper. If you, if you read and it all seems familiar, like putting on an old shirt, then keep going till something hits you as new. And then at that point, figure out what's different, what's weird, what don't you understand? There might be something there that God wants to impress you. Not everything you read that seems new and, and, and that challenges you or is a mystery is like life-changing. Like this is, man, I'm going to change the way I live. But it all adds to this reverence and understanding of a God that's so much bigger than we could ever understand. And for me, like I have a, I have a, a guy that I know who's a new convert. And I say, hey, how can I pray for you? And he says, no, 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 no. Don't pray for me. There's other people out there who need it more than me. Well, I try to explain to him, this is, that's not how God works. Like, he's plugged in. You can be in Zimbabwe with somebody's life threatened at gunpoint, and you can be in Harrisonville just sitting in a light, needing to get somewhere on time, and it's all important. God hears all of it, and he weighs it, and he knows how to answer that prayer, as well as to hear everything we just talked about. He hears everything in here. So he knows that you're hungry, and you want to go to lunch. So just dig, dig a little deeper. See what kind of new things. And when you find something that you're like, well, I haven't really read that before. Tell me about it. Tell someone about it. Let them know. See what they say. See, maybe they read it. Maybe they didn't. But talk a little bit about it. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We're so thankful that you share your mysteries with us, that you gave us more than we could ever ask for in the word. But yet there's also things that lie under the surface you intend for us to find. Um, We're thankful that you are in complete control and that we don't have to worry that there's something out there that's more powerful than you, that knows our thoughts better than you, that's in places where you can't be. We're grateful for that, even though it's hard for us to grasp. We're grateful that you are the supreme being, that you are in control. We ask, Lord, that we would dig a little deeper, that we look for those, those things within the scripture that you intend to share with us in a unique and special way, and that we would talk with each other um, outside of church about that, that you would become a, a, a forefront in our conversations as we get to share what you're teaching us, Lord. I ask that you would guide and protect everyone here, help them to go out this week and, and uh, walk with you and share you with those they come across. We pray these things in your name. Amen.